Okay, like I said, this is just a, this isn't even a trick. This is just another. Yeah, shot. it's not a trick. This is the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. Yeah. So we're just diving into this then. Well, John wants to show us something, so this is great for audio. Right. We might cut this later. <laughs> yeah, we might. What are you we'll showing see. me? Uh, here we go. Uh huh. Little riffle. And a cut. Uh, was that fake? That was a fake. That was a false shuffle. Oh, that was a that was my uh, that was the push through shuffle. Oh, that was the push. That was the push through oh. shuffle about what two weeks? That did not look like uh, it did last week. Um, so John learned the push through shuffle. Way? Yeah, in a good way because I I was experimenting with it and mm-hmm. the transfer part is difficult. What do you mean? Stripping it out? Uh, no, getting it across to your other hand. Yes, is difficult. Right, that's so like the part I said. last week you were going ugh as you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. So wait, let's see. This is the audio of John's push through shovel. Okay. And then all, if if you obviously you can't see it, and these cards aren't close to the microphone, so all sort of scenario is happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I'm pulling them apart. Yeah. And a <laughs> <laughs> that's a good cover. Push them together and cut. Oh yeah, that looks great. Yeah, it's getting better. Um, and it's it's uh it's fun. I've been I've been enjoying it and practicing. It's like the last couple weeks. Anytime I'm at a table, yeah, I'm just sitting there doing it. Oh yeah! Last so, time I played D and D with some friends, and just for three hours, I was just sitting there. As you're playing D and D, as I was playing D and D, and they weren't annoyed by that. Oh. Uh, no, they are they used to it. They, they they're used to it. Uh, actually, this is good. Uh, I don't know if this is good. I think maybe it was last week or the before. It was the very first time that I was. Oh, I was waiting for an audition, and I actually took out a deck of cards and practiced my Pharaoh shuffle. Right, like first time in my life that I have practiced anything like this in public. And it was kind of, uh, I felt a little embarrassed, <laughs> but I was <laughs> Let like, me tell you something, Chris never goes away. <laughs> and it, it doesn't, you never get the like armor of just like, yeah, this is what I do. You know what it is? I've never gotten the armor of like explaining to people that I'm a magician. And to this day, I've been doing this for 10 and a half years now to this day. If you're with me at a coffee shop and I have a deck of cards and someone goes, Oh, what do you do? Are you a magician? You'll see my face kind of go, uh, well, uh, okay. So, <laughs> Uh, what, no. are the, what are the other explanations of what you're doing if you're practicing card? Oh, cards? we're just like you know, you know, we're just we're graphic we're just designers. Yeah. Um, we're old gamblers. See, yeah, uh, this is an old hustle. See, <laughs> um, yeah. So I practiced fair shuffle, and uh, there was something else I did, but yeah, I, I wasn't prepared if to. Th- this is what I thought though. I was a little worried, like, oh, someone's going to ask me what's going on. And then I realized this might be a good way to prevent people from talking to me at all. Right. It might be people like, ugh, I don't want to engage with that person in any way. Same rationale for shitting your pants on the subway. It's like no one will walk up to you. Yeah, exactly. Magic is is Uh, the LA equivalent of shitting your pants on the subway. uh, What was I going to show you? Because the, the only thing is the thing I was working on requires one of these, which is like less fun for like the real world. What do you mean? Um, so I, the thing I do use is a ribbon spread, so I have to have like... Oh, is this the thing ca- you showed me last week? Uh, I think I did, yeah. And you put it on Instagram? Uh, I did put it on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, wait, let me show you the other one then. It didn't fool me. You just the, have them pick that exact same card. You say, pick this card. Yeah, exactly. Nice no, try. Uh, this is the one from... Um, there's a problem with this one. This is Harapan Ong from the Principia book. Um, how does this go? It goes like this. Like, uh, I'm going to riffle or dribble just so, these. We're sure it's Principia. It's not Principia. Principia because he says it on his Instagram. Oh, okay. okay. I'm going to dribble these face up. You say stop. Stop. Uh, oh, well, that's what then a card fell out, but it's not relevant to okay. the issue here. Uh, I bet you that's a prediction. I fucking no, bet that's you that, that is the prediction. We're going to use this as your card. Okay. Uh, I took the top half of the face up part. I'm going to, uh, what do you call this? A ribbon thread. Do that. Um, 
Yes. Now imagine that this was smooth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting your card face down into the spread like that. I just imagined that that was smooth and it looked great. Yeah, great. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to take the other half and face down. I'm going to spread them across like that. And what you're going to see is your card's going to teleport from the face up spread to the face down spread just like this. Here we go. And there's one card face down in the face up spread now. And that is your. That's pretty clubs. cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a little bug in that trick that I, that occurs frequently, um, which is that this move, uh, this is great. This is why I like, like this. We can't worry about exposure at all. Right. So this move, so this is where this ends up, right? Mm-hmm. And Whoa, then, my God. And then you do the this. The exposure of it all. You do this. Right. Like that. Yeah, that looks very... I, I, after you spread the cards, I realized you must have done that, and it looked good. It so looked this good. regularly produces a problem where this chunk is too far apart sure and then when you do the spread that often happens right and even in his demo on the uh, linked from the book um i believe this is uh i forget which trick this is if you guys listening to this have the book um but even in the video demo that harapon does on the like the link that you get with the book right before he does the spread you can see that same like in his demo you can see that thing right there and he just doesn't it doesn't happen like i think he's good enough at doing the spread part that mm-hmm. it doesn't happen but to the point that i've like i've done it enough where that's happened where i've almost thought about inserting a part of like well as you can see they're all face down and just right. like fix it with my hands um but it's interesting i almost wanted to like message him to be like is do you have a fix for that because in this process i don't know what do you call this uh let's see swing, that's a swing, swing cut hat. uh and imagine i'm like using my I did a swing cut of the top half of the deck, and the left hand is side jogging. Yeah, side jogging. That's a card, so that when I do the spread, it gets hidden. Maybe a smaller side jog. I've tried it with a variety of ones. If I do it slowly, See, now it's stopped. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Maybe it's just experience. Anyway, is this good content? Yeah, it's great content. <laughs> anyway, really... that's what I worked on this week. Um... Uh, but interesting, like the two tricks that I learned, and the other one was I put on Instagram. They're both weirdly, I both learned it the same week. And they're almost the exact same trick. Right. Um, but it's weird to learn tricks that require like a stand-up pad. Oh. Well, that was a loud... Un- oh, uh, the, I know what that was. Settling noise. Someone turned on hot water in the house and it rattled. Got it. Um, but it's weird to learn tricks that require a stand-up pad. Right. Because you can't like be like with your friends. You're like, oh, I'll show you something. Unless you have one of these. Yes, which I'm going to purchase from you yeah. soon. Um, what are these exactly? Oh boy! Well, these are a product. I don't. It's it's tough to get them. They're very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are close up mats. And uh, shoot sells these at his lectures sometimes when he has them, and he gets them from Japan. I do not know exactly where. Oh. But they're these cool little close up mats that are not that expensive. They're about fifteen dollars, and uh, they you can crush them up. Anyone. Uh, some of my friends listening to this are probably giggling right now because I do this bit as a spiel. Anytime someone's like, what are those? I just go into the whole bit I would give at his lectures to get people to... Ah, this is a this is a part of your pitch. Right. My, I get my whole my whole pitch. And so... But they're, what's great about these is they're uh, you can um, compress them really, really small. Yeah. And it won't hurt them. They'll come out and then they'll be completely fine. Uh, I've The other day I accidentally um, slept with one of these in my pocket. And then the next morning <laughs> I took it out and after about a minute and a half it was fine. And, uh, and so they're they're great for like hanging out with your friends. At, like, I don't want to ask the consequence that it, where you wound up asleep with one of these in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that committed to the craft, Chris. Uh, it's like sleeping with an old baseball glove, right? Um, I was shooting something last week, and I this is a window into the way uh, television works. Um, 
my uh, call time was 7.45 a.m. Yeesh. I did shoot something around 9 a.m. And then the next thing I shot was around 4.30 p.m. Uh, so until in that intervening time, I was in a trailer. Right. Very nice trailer. That's when I actually shot that video of the trick that's on my Instagram. Oh. Uh, but I brought my stand-up pad that I got from the Magic Castle. And that one... Close-up pad. Close-up pad. Oh, a stand-up pad. A stand-up pad is a... I don't know what that is. for doing comedy on. <laughs> right. There's certain jokes that I tell that I need a stand-up pad. Yeah, you got to st- yeah, yeah. A um, cushion. Yeah. Um, close-up pad that uh, I uh, brought, and it was didn't have any of these features. In fact, it was so large that like to roll it up, it was like bringing like a very cumbersome item to bring. Right. So these are ob- this is obviously not something I would ever bring to like a show or a formal setting. Right. I have nicer ones. These are great because they're very durable, very small. And I, I, you know, I can fold them up, and I usually just leave them in the pocket of a shoulder bag that I carry with or me. Or a pocket you fall asleep with. Or a pocket <laughs> fall asleep. It was just very late at night. I fell asleep on the couch. It was in my back pocket. And, yeah. You know. you know what? It's a lot like this microphone that doesn't work very well. Uh, <laughs> but you that? know what? The, Is that uh, like a sponge but microphone? When, but when it doesn't work, you just throw it in a paper bag. <laughs> throw it away. Why do you have that? <laughs> this was like a freebie thrown in with, with like something I ordered. And they were like... It comes with these. It's it's a it's a microphone that's made of foam. It's a foam microphone, and it's like it's a microfoam, co- if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I call it a foam microphone. Right. Um, it comes Double with a, the a there. believe it or not. It comes with a thing that's like here's a great routine you can do with this. I'm sure you come that out. Does. You come out and you go like, <clears throat> uh, uh, oh, testing. T- uh, this isn't. You know what? Ugh, that's what we get when you get these from the dime store and you put it in a paper bag and then you crush up the paper bag and throw it away. Okay. Great opener is that's what it That's the said. worst thing I've ever heard in my life. It's a, it's, you know, it's a great opener. Well, we're going to post a picture of this on my Instagram after the show so you can see just how, how convincing it is. You can, I, I could try for a hundred years and, and still not make something that looks less <laughs> like a real microphone than what you're holding. Um, this is awful. <laughs> imagine a, imagine a, a, a black matchstick. That's exactly what this looks that is, like. Yeah, this is horrendous. Um, so, uh, magic update for um, for us. Um, one of the things we talked about potentially doing later in the year is we might go to Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, with uh, pretty much a show of John's. Um, and so I'm just letting you know I applied for several venues. Uh, now. I have not heard back from any of them. Right. Um, but just, uh, I don't know if any of you out there have done Edinburgh Fringe, but I've done it, uh, I've performed there a bunch of times and I've produced there once. Um, so my show that was a parody of uh, Harry Potter, that's a musical, that's going back because they basically gave us dibs on the same time right. slot. And you guys killed last Yeah, year. we... Uh, that showed it amazing. A, a show that, um, a new show there to sell 75% of tickets is is doing good. Right. Um, so I applied for some smaller venues for what I call John Accardo close-up magic. Oh, that's <laughs> creative. Yeah. Um, mostly I applied for a venue at the same area, the same company as where my other show is going in the hopes mm-hmm. that, and I basically was like, Hey guys, you know me, you know, Here's another show I'd like to bring as well. Right. And so they're sort of my first choice. They're called Assembly. I've applied for them. Uh, but I've also applied to uh, Underbelly, Pleasance, and I applied to uh, the Laughing Horse Free Fringe Festival. Cool. Uh, now, I did look at my emails from last year, and Laughing Horse got back to me last year in March. So hmm. I did not hear back from them until March about like potentially getting a venue. So oh, sure. Um, 
But that's where we're at with that. Right. So I figured I'd just update you here on the podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, what's going on? You know, I've been thinking about something actually the last couple of days. And go. Right. Well, I think we've been talking in the past about whether the comedy that is used in magic is sort of behind traditional comedy, like improv and stand-up. Right. And we agree that it is. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I found sort of a tangible place where I realized, oh, this is this is one of the things that we're behind on. Mm-hmm. And there's an idea I, I learned about eight years ago from a uh, Lance Burton lecture. I, mean, I was in the junior program every year for our big sort of end-of-year celebration in August mm-hmm. after a Future Stars Week. The junior program would plan this like really big lecture, and the lecturer was always surprised. And so it was like people like Teller and Lance Burton and Siegfried and Siegfried and Roy, really big names. And those were always very, very exciting. There was a barbecue, and it was great. So one year we had Lance Burton, and he gave out these notes for free at the end. And it was, uh, I believe they were called the Hamburg notes. And one of the big points he made in the lecture was this idea about the Beatles and their time in Hamburg, oh, Germany. Right. Uh-huh. And the idea was that. The Beatles were playing like every night mm-hmm. in the first couple of years of their time together in Hamburg. And then that was kind of when they cut their teeth and became the Beatles. Right. The idea being you need a place where you can perform a lot, where you can sort of be bad, and then later on that, that's how you'll become good. It's just that constant, constant, constant experience. Right. And then his own personal experience was he and Matt King both performed at like small Kentucky theme parks right. growing up. And that's and they were just doing that all the time, several shows a day, and they were getting much better. And I remember at the time as a teenager, that like blew my mind. And I've heard a couple other magicians kind of make this point, like, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to find a place where you can perform a lot and be comfortable not always being incredible and sometimes bombing. Yes. And that's where you get better. And for a while I'm like, wow. For years I was like, This is this is these are some good ideas. Right. And then as I got a little bit older, I realized the comedy community learned that maybe 30 years ago or 40 years. Like, that's, like, the number one thing. Was this, like, a new thought? It was, I mean, that's what it felt like. It kind uh-huh. of feels like, guess what, guys? Well, like, I guess the thing was, was it a new thought to, it was definitely a new thought to you because you were young. I was, like, it. I would have been 15 or something but when I learned would, this. But if you were 35, would it also have been, like, you know what? That Lance has a good point there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, there are these very professional-looking, like, lecture notes that he handed out. Yeah. The title after that idea. Yeah. Because that is exactly what, I mean, in comedy. That's, like, the, the staple. I mean, that's, the you know, the main principle of getting better in comedy. In comedy, mics and stuff, there right? literally is no advice Except, like, there's a cliche on, in stand-up that's just, the only advice is just, like, just get up and do it. Right. You know? Uh, I actually think comedy might over-romanticize the grind in that way. Um, stand-up in particular, people are really averse even to the idea of there being classes on how mm-hmm. to do stand-up, which is a little odd to me. Uh, as someone who has taken stand-up classes and gotten a lot out of them, it's weird to me that, like... Um, Tom Shalou, who's a great stand-up in New York that I knew for a while uh, and was friends with, um, that I, and I took a class from him, that if I just hung out with him and got advice from him and had him watch my sets and give me advice, mm-hmm. somehow that's more valuable than if I paid him $300 and he did all the exact same things, right. like, which was what his class was, then somehow that invalidates the idea of a class. But in general, yeah, comedy is very much like just get your reps. So that's a time where... I think quite tangibly, like magic is behind in comedy. From the comedy side, as yes. they're kind of discovering this idea that has been like a staple of what comedy is and how you improve at it. Yeah, and I think 
don't it know. seems a little harder because um like I can get up at an open mic with just like three words that are just like like is spaghetti delicious and kind of be like let me work out my thoughts on this thing right I don't know if there's an equivalent for magic where you're just kind of like like here's an example um I would like well to hold on finish your thought there is spaghetti delicious well that's what I don't know I gotta work I don't you know what I don't know until the audience tells me from this podcast host, um, the answer is yes <laughs> um no like here's an idea I would like to see someone put a lemon in a bill so that the end of the trick is you open up a dollar bill and there's a picture of a lemon like in the right in the engraving but like you can't just be like well let me go to a open mic and just start working on that (laughs) like there's 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 a lot more work you have to do before you just get up and start workshopping i I will say that there is an essence of practicality have you heard that before have you heard that trick before i have not lemon and bill (laughs) uh yeah, the only thing that only works for people that have seen a lot of Bill and Lemons. Right. Another idea is to have like a a small, uh, like, bobblehead of Bill Gates show up in a lemon. Hey, those are my two ideas. Bill and Lemon. Uh, anyway, <laughs> or just a picture of Bill Gates or Bill Cosby. Or mm. <laughs> why not? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I can think of some reasons why not. I think <laughs> if I if I scratch the old brain, uh, I think. Oh, what I was saying was, I think there's a uh, there is a certain essence of practicality. Maybe that's not the right word, but engineering that magic has that other creative art forms don't have. Yeah. Right? You can just talk about is spaghetti delicious, and ten different comedians will come up with ten different jokes, and they can just do that on stage. Yeah. Where if you decide if you go, hey, wouldn't this be a cool ma- idea for a magic trick? At some point, you will have to come up with a method. Yeah. And that is something that you can't really do in front of an audience. The you other thing is that in, in stand up. There's a pretty simple metric as to whether or not what you're doing is working, which is whether people are laughing. And I would say another metric is whether or not I more experienced standups actually. I think they're listening to see if people laugh, but they're also just seeing as it comes out of their mouth if like it seems right. like something they want to do. And I think from what I've heard and some of the comedians I've talked to and listened to, it sounds like they're also kind of listening for what kind of laugh they're getting. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes sure. you also want to know if it's the right laugh or the or the wrong laugh. Yeah. I think you a lot of times I uh, you. You, I think you have people that kind of just laugh when, uh, like, if you make a sort of a nostalgic reference, people might laugh just to kind of oh, connect yeah, with you on sure. that reference. But that not, might not necessarily be a laugh because that joke is really funny. Yeah. So I think people are also very conscious of that. Um, I think the one issue in magic, though, is like I don't think people can even agree on what like success would be. Right, especially in the terms of from like a reaction. I yeah. think that is something I've heard before that. I won't say who quoted this, but I heard a quote where it said, you know, um, what, what was it exactly? It was something like, oh, but it gets a re- if The idea being you would like call someone's trick bad. You'd say, I don't like this trick. I think it has these problems. And then that magician's response would be, oh, but it gets a really good reaction. Yeah. And that is the, the, the idea was like, that is what a hack magician says. That's like a hack magician's best friend is, oh, but it gets a reaction. And I think sometimes it's hard to tell. When you, you know, bad magic will get a reaction from a non-discerning audience. And mm-hmm. as we discussed before, 90% of magic audiences are incredibly non-discerning. Right. Um, so sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between an experienced magician and a not-so-experienced magician well, to, a, to an, a non-discerning audience. Even sometimes, I would almost say, like, sometimes good magic gets almost like a stunned reaction. Like, the a good, like when I saw the Derek Delgadio show... 
there was a lot of good response at the end, but I remember times in the middle of it that some of the responses were more just like, Ooh, like it wasn't right. like if you were measuring just by like volume of audience response, sure. it wouldn't have been like, you, you don't get, it wasn't that like, no way, dude. Right. <laughs> like that should be a weird, weird response. Well, that's that certainly, I think not the tone he was going for <laughs> yeah. those responses, but it's funny. He's actually commented on that uh-huh. uh, when he was on, uh, you made it weird. Pete Holmes podcast. Uh-huh. I believe you listened to, right? I did. Okay. So he was talking, I think he, he kind of makes this, statement that or this claim that beyond a really really big reaction a better reaction on top of that is like silence uh-huh. when people are just so you know so I, shocked. which definitely that show got yes yeah. uh because um, there are some incredibly strong moments i have seen some what i consider truly wonderful magicians at the castle get reactions that i found to be kind of distasteful which were where people going like dude Oh, no way, bro. Oh, no way. Oh, it's going to be the ace. It's gonna, like just where I just wanted the audience to like shut up. Right. Um, And that would have been. Now that I think about it, though, I kind of want to go see in and of itself again and just be sure. like, like at the end, well, just be like, can't. be like, no way. Oh, my God. She is an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Other thing I want to talk about this week that I'm yeah. excited about is um, uh. I got my new book from the Jerks. Oh yes, how is that? Uh, it's good. Uh, it's magic for love, young lovers. Magic for young lovers is what it's called, and um, comes with a few. I haven't looked at the gimmick cards that it come with. Principia came with that too. Little packet of gimmick cards or gaff cards. Either or. Yeah, I think they're actually gaff cards. Ga- I, I think of gaff cards as being like weirdly printed cards. That they're actually called silly cards. <laughs> Wacky packs. Wacky, silly, silly cards. Um, so for those of you that listen to or that read the jerks, the uh, season I guess two things came out. Um, so exciting. Have you have you looked at that book yet? I have looked at it a little bit. Some of it is tricks that are in the in the that have been like sort of compiled from the blog. Um, and some of them are new, so I'm sort of just sitting with it from the beginning. Right. I uh, love the jerks, but uh, just uh, yeah, there's a little surprise in it for people who who read it that I guess I won't say anything more about. Right. So have I, fun with that. <laughs> I was reading. There's this uh, trilogy of books called the Fitzky trilogy uh-huh. by a guy named uh, Daryl Fitzky. It was written in like the 40s, and there's three books. And they're all on a different to- a topic of performance and magic. Mm-hmm. And so one um, is called, I think, like showmanship and magic. One is called the trick brain, and one is called, and about, all about misdirection. So mm-hmm. there's no tricks in these books. But I the other day I started reading the first one, and it's funny that even in, like this was 1942, I think this book was written. Mm-hmm. He make he he talks about a quote he's heard, where it's like magic is three things. Magic is, you know, often mysterious, like usually uh, baffling and always entertaining or something like that. And uh-huh. ended with always entertaining. And he immediately, was like the first page of the book. He immediately goes, that's like complete bullshit. He goes, magic is usually boring and uh-huh. not good to bad. And it's usually just like a self-indulgent performer performing bad magic. I'm yeah. like, wow. Even like eight, like what would that be? 80 or so years ago, almost. Yeah. There were people that still called out these problems. There's, there's things you read from like, um, like the jerks is a reference to uh, a thing called the jinx mm-hmm. from way right. back, and there's things you read from that time where they'll write like, "Well, people today are saying that magic is dead," and it's it's really funny to me that there's like That's sort amazing. of the, the same debates going on. And right. On. So uh, I just like I'm in the middle of this airport reading this book, 
and this guy is being a total shady bitch. Like on page one, yeah, I'm yeah. absolutely loving it. Yeah. I'm so excited to read more. I'm like, this guy's got to figure it out. Uh, have you heard of a blog called Larry Horain? No, I have not. It, it's something I just came across, and if you if you guys are out there and listening to it, and I I keep I keep gendering our audience by saying guys. I don't mean to do that. People listening, right? That's much more natural. Um, uh, Larry Horain is a jerks like blog that I found recently. It's like a Tumblr or something like that. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Uh, I haven't really waded through it. What too What is the significance of it being named after Harry Lorraine? I think honestly, and and I came to you like three weeks ago, and I was like, "Have you heard of this Harry Lorraine dude?" And I have, but I don't know that much about him. Okay, really. this is my total, the entirety of my. Besides that, he definitely invented the Pharaoh Shuffle and is the only source. Well, this for is it. my entire, the entirety of my like exposure to him is that when I read, so if I want to go buy a book or something or or an effect or whatever. Often I will like Google people's discussions about it, and it often leads you to like either Theory Eleven or Magic Cafe, right? And like, or the Genie forums. And regularly in these discussions, there'll be something like, "Hey, uh, have you guys read this book about, for example, the Pharaoh Shuffle, mm-hmm. uh, or like, what's the best way to learn a Pharaoh Shuffle?" And people are like, "You should get Michael Close's ebook on the Pharaoh Shuffle," which is what I ended up doing. Uh, and people discuss it, yeah, blah blah, blah. and then. No matter what the thread is, and I've seen this a minimum five times, Harry Lorraine jumps in and he's like, well, you know, I uh, was wrote the first and authoritative book on that. A lot of people have been very satisfied learning it from my book. Uh, and then people will be like, cool, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes people will say like, you know, Harry, I got your book and I had a couple problems. There was one description that was a little difficult. And he'll like push back and be like, well, uh, a lot of satisfied customers from the book, uh, you know, Close to Miracles by Harry Lorraine or whatever. And I think he's done that enough, especially if you were someone that, like I've read Magic Cafe for six months. Mm-hmm. As If you've been on Magic Cafe for 10 years, it might start to grade on you. <laughs> and maybe you make a blog that's called Larry Horain. Right. Um, Chris, are you saying that you wrote Larry Horain? No, 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 not at all. Like maybe uh, some people think that uh, there no, needs to be an outlet. <laughs> uh, I did do that once actually um, a long time ago. I, I did that. It, making fun of somebody in a totally different industry. Um, but no, I did not start at uh, Larry Herring. Um But I will say that in that discussion of the Pharaoh Shuffle, people were like, you should read Michael Close's ebook. And Michael Close jumped in and said like, hey, you know, here's the link to whatever. And then Harry Lorraine jumped in and said, you know, well, even Michael says in his ebook that he learned it from my book, The Pharaoh Shuffle, so you should purchase my book. But And then Michael Close, I don't think, said anything else in it. Right. Uh, but I was recently listening to a different magic podcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Discourse and Magic, when they intercoursed, uh, intercoursed when they interviewed uh, Michael Close. I hope that's all he did. <laughs> well, you never know. It's audio only. Right. Um, he knows what was happening. And in that interview, he said, like, by the way, that, like, the description in Harry Lorraine's book, no one could possibly learn the Pharaoh show. Like, he he acknowledges in his ebook that he learned it from the Harry Lorraine book, mm-hmm. but he went out of his way in the interview to say, like, I wrote this book because that is a really bad book to learn it from. Oh, no. <laughs> I love all this magic drama. Oh, there's so much. I love occasionally, like, you'll come across, um, you know, when a bunch of... And all of this is, like, archival. So, like... And I'm, like, catching up to this stuff years after the fact. But, like, you'll just see, like, a a cluster of podcasts around, let's say, like, spring of 2015. Right. When, like... Somebody accused someone on a podcast of like 
stealing material from them or whatever, mm-hmm. and then like response podcasts and stuff like that. Right. Like if you like drama, magic is a great hobby to get into. And it, because it's such a small community. Yeah. So it's it everyone's bumping shoulders all the time. I mean there is a there is an axiom that like the drama is so high because the stakes are so low. Right. Um that's originally said about academia, I believe, but it kind of applies to magic a little bit. Oh, I think it does. Because because very, people are very intense about their domains and like they're very proprietary. Sure, um, but it's fun if you like drama. Right. There's there's a lot of drama in magic. Um. Yeah, it's easier. Like we've talked about before, but it's easier for me to approach these things in a fun way. Because right. they don't really affect me in any way. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay out of it. I'm trying to be a friend to all. Yeah. I mean, like, also, do you see yourself one day, like, really trying to, like, sell stuff? Not really. Because I think that's where a lot of it comes in. Yeah. I don't see myself being super interested in doing that. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah. I think I just want my stuff to be my stuff. <laughs> you, know, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, because um, I... I can see myself lecturing and doing things like that and yeah. teaching, but I I don't know if I want to be the guy that's releasing products necessarily. I feel like when the money comes in is when the drama comes in most of the time. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to think what we can sell of yours. A new variation on this push through shuffle. That yeah. Oh, the Accardo push through shuffle, <laughs> the premier book. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my friend Scott Green. From Chicago, who I saw uh, at the castle this weekend. Thanks to you, you. Thank you for giving me uh, an invite You're to go. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in public or not. Um, You're allowed to thank me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the rules are on this stuff. Um, but I got to see Scott do the Sunday brunch um, parlor show. Oh, cool! And a very fun chunk of his act was like, I and I messaged him afterward. I was like, "Is that whole thing?" in the middle of it, yours. And he's like, yeah, that's totally mine. Cool. Uh, and it's just fun to see, I would say, especially in a um, kids-focused show, mm-hmm. it's fun to see like, oh, this whole Effort. chunk's original. Yeah. It's like, um, and it's it, it was a fun material, bit of material that has that thing that I love in kids' shows where you get to like torture the kids uh, by just frustrating them a lot, mm-hmm. which a lot of them do. Uh, but a lot of them do it with like the... I don't know what you call that, like the changing bottles thing. Right. Um, which is fun. But it's fun to see someone do it with original material. Sure. What um, was the material? What was the... What uh, was it was like, uh, I won't go too much into it, but it's basically like, hey, I got a book that teaches you how to do magic. Kids, you can like learn how to do magic from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he shows the book and it's not what he says it is. And right. the kids can see that it's not and he refuses to acknowledge that they're wrong. <laughs> or okay. that, they're, that he's wrong. Right. Um, and then like, it's just proceeds from there. And I, the reason I bring it up based on our last conversation is that's e- easily something he could sell. Oh. Um, and I don't know if he wants to or not, right. um, but like he definitely could sell that and people would for sure purchase it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. How do you, like you have developed some stuff on your own mm-hmm. and is there a feeling like, like, I don't know, what would it feel like to see someone else doing your thing? I think right now, because I don't have a lot of original stuff. <laughs> like, that's the one thing I have heard. Um, yeah, right now it's because I don't, if, if I had a gigantic catalog of original bull material that I felt was marketable, yeah, I, you know, I might change my tune, especially if I needed the money, which I'm sure I will at some point. Yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, right now I think with the very limited amount of stuff I have, it feels kind of weird. It's also a lot of the stuff I have that I have developed, I'm not done, I don't think is perfect and I'm not done right. with. And I don't want it to be out in the world. 
Especially, I mean, if I were to sell something, I question, do I really want my name on this for as it is for everyone to have and yeah. and use? And I, uh, there's really nothing I, I think I have that completely fits that. Well, I mean, there's demand for my friend's oil and water cards already. So check Illusionist. For, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, I did get in touch with the the woman who wants those. Right. So we're going to figure out how to get those to her. Great. Um, but if you want any magic product, just call Chris. By and- the way, I would never ever, I have no intention of ever, like the thing is I can imagine somebody selling like something like the friends thing mm-hmm. because, and, and selling it as just like, let's look at this new twist on the uh, oil and water right. thing. But it's like very minimal innovation. Oh, that happens all the time. That, that's what I'm saying. I think less innovation has been marketed and sold. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's why sometimes you have to be really careful buying products online. Cause, yes. I mean, some of these websites are borderline scams. I bought something from uh, Vanishing um, that was a... Imagine like a little coin envelope that you can take a coin and throw it at the envelope and then the coin is in the envelope. Okay. And then you can hand the envelope to somebody and according to the description it's examinable with no switches and then i got the video they showed you how to make it and then at the end they were like and then before you hand it to them switch in this regular one. Oh no <laughs> and so i emailed vanishing ink i was like uh on the description it says no switches and then the very end of this thing is clearly you have to switch it before you hand it out and they just refunded me and they took it off the website you know vanishing ink actually tries very very hard yeah. to make sure they only have good stuff on their website it's yeah. kind of one of their big things i think there was a uh they were, cause they were talking about this is a few years ago as they were kind of getting off the ground and i had bought a couple things from them and they they send out like every year the sort of end of year letter the way most companies do that people would have stock in saying like this is how this year went this is what we did that was good this is what didn't work out so well and one of their big missions is to ensure that the stuff they're putting on as actually works and is actually good and mm. they they they, caught, they uh quoted a trick they're talking about a trick that they saw on several other websites that was like five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and it just didn't work. Yeah, and they're like, "You're gonna burn a lot of people for five hundred dollars, and this thing that just isn't gonna work." And you know, one argument for that is, well, let the just put the stuff out and let the you know, it's it's the buyer's responsibility to to know what you know to yeah. buy good or bad stuff. And they kind of weren't into that. They they try very hard to. And so well, I'm, I'm glad to hear the end of that story. They kind of righted that. Uh, yeah, they like removed it from their catalog. They're. Uh, Customer service, Vanishing Inc. is fantastic. Yeah. it's. I, I once bought something from them at a convention that I'm still not exactly sure what happened. I think I must have just, when I, you know, bought it, I, I, they have this really big booth. It's kind of like, you know, five or six tables in this little corner at Magic Live. And so they have this little table where I was, and I bought four or five things. And I think my, my I think I le- just le- didn't pick one of them off, off the table mm-hmm. because it wasn't in my bag it wasn't in my hotel room it wasn't anywhere and it was just gone and so i emailed them and i went hey i'm pretty sure i just didn't grab this off the table i'm really sorry and it was like 50 bucks mm-hmm. and they went they sent an email back almost immediately going well we're not missing any all, all of our stock is intact um, and, and we would have you know picked up anything that had fallen um we're not missing anything but here just take another one and that was it oh cool and it was awesome uh speaking of good cu- customer so if you want to steal from vanishing Inc., <laughs> <laughs> you uh, can uh, speaking of good customer service, I bought coins from Jeff Copeland at Copeland Coins, mm-hmm. and uh, a sponsor of this podcast. Nope, not a sponsor, <laughs> no, but okay. um, but I also bought one of that wherever that little coin we'll wallet. We'll get a sponsor eventually. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I was trying to think of one. Oh, this, foam, foam microphones. Right, foam microphones. This podcast brought to you by uh, Pharaoh Shuffles by Harry Lorraine. Yeah. Uh, so I bought coins for. I bought some coins and then I bought a little coin wallet from right. him. And fun thing, if you open, if you order from Copeland Coins, he wraps it in these old pages of I think of like a Sam magazine or something. Mm-hmm. So actually the magazine the package is like fun to read. And I think I got distracted by that and threw away the actual wallet. Because <laughs> uh, then I was like, I didn't actually see the wallet. And then he was like, it's pretty sure it's in there. And I had thrown away the packaging. And he just sent me another one. Uh, and then he said, you know, you know, just like take it here on me. And then I meant to PayPal him like some and then I forgot. So this is me reminding myself to send him some money. Um, uh, the reason I brought up the Friends oil and water cards is that another reason why I, besides the fact that I don't think it's worth selling, because I think, first of all, everybody out there can think of their own thing that they would do for oil and water and make their own cards. Right. Uh, instead of like paying me to do it. Um, like I literally, I just don't think it's worth, legitimately worth a dollar for like of an idea, right? But the other thing is that like, even if I came up with something that's genuinely innovative, and, and or if you did, the other burden that you have to think about is that then you are there's like customer service involved mm-hmm. with like, and you also are going to get flack if like it doesn't work the way. Right, you take on a lot of burdens when you do that. I mean, just like, or if it's a trick that just works great for you, but like you sell it to someone and they're like, "This didn't work at all when I did it for this party." Or there's whatever. a magician that, to this day. I'm pissed off when I hear their name. Oh. And it's a really well-known magician for ma- who's known for making this like really, really great thing that you can buy. Oh. And when I was 14, I to this day, I say he screwed me out of 50 bucks. <laughs> and I'm really upset about it. And I will tell that story now. <laughs> sure. What happened, I'm not going to say their name. I'll describe what the trick was, though. Uh-huh. Now, granted, let me preface the story by saying my actions in this story, I don't necessarily condone. What I did was, did was not necessarily the best thing to do, but I was 15, didn't exactly know better, and he still stole money from a 15-year-old. Yes. What it was is there was a trick, and it was one of those many, like, thumb tie escapes. The idea of a thumb tie escape is someone wraps your thumbs in, like, zip ties or, you know, pipe cleaners right. or whatever, something really, really tight, and then... This uh, is useful when people get abducted. Yes. Because that's typically the best way to keep someone from doing anything useful is to type their thumbs. Right. So... Because then you can't do anything. And that's the premise. <laughs> yeah. Imagine kidnapping me. <laughs> yeah. Kidnapping. Right. So so the idea is, you know, your your thumbs are restrained, making the sort of like loop with your arms. Mm-hmm. And then you're essentially things go through that those restrained thumbs. And so like there'll be like a chair with an opening on it and you can pick up the chair and it's kind of on your arm. Or someone will have like hold maybe a stick and they'll grab the top and bottom and you can thrust your hands through it. And, mm-hmm. and now it's, it's stuck there unless they move their hands and, and pull the stick out. And there's many different ways of doing this. It's been around for a long, long time. What this was is it was a slight variation on that. Where the idea is you put your thumb and index finger together, mm-hmm. and what you did is you wrap tape, um, like electrical tape, around their thumb and index finger, uh, basically completely restraining those, and you made it as tight as possible. And you could see your fingertips on one end of it, and you could see the rest of your finger on the other end. So there's like about an inch of electrical tape just bounding those two. And then he had a, a chain, a, a circular chain, mm-hmm. and the chain would go through those into the, the loop made by his thumb and his index finger, right? And he did it, and he did it really up close, and it was cool. I was 15. I hadn't seen anything like it, and he was selling it. This Where did was, you see this? This was a lecture at the Magic Castle. Okay, cool. I was in the junior program. You're allowed to go to lectures <laughs> there. And... So I asked him, I raised my hand, we were, he was talking about it a little bit, but didn't want to talk too much about it. 
because he was selling the trick. And, mm. and often when people are selling the trick, sometimes they won't demonstrate it at all, how it works at all. And they'll just show you what the trick is. Sometimes they'll go through all of it, and, but the gimmick is for sale or something like that. Right. So I, I don't exactly remember what the uh, what what he said about the trick, how, how much he talked about it. But I remember raising my he, hand. He did say, this is great for swindling kids. Right. Uh. And I went, well, I'm a kid. <laughs> I don't know what swindle means. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, like, my dad had given me money to buy something at this lecture, should I want to. And this seemed really cool, close up, because this person is famous for making, like, bigger, stagey things that are, like, $800 that I, of course, could not and still can't afford. Right. So this was really cool. It was, like, 50 or 60 bucks. I think it was 60 And I raised my hand, and I asked a question about it. I went, oh, is this... And I basically said a method. Like, is this how this works? But is that a like um acceptable thing to do at a lecture i would say probably not if they're selling it <laughs> right, and they right. didn't want to expose like if they want didn't want to expose it because they can't quite answer it in any way right um and had he said yes to my question it, i wouldn't have bought it right so i don't like i said i'm 15 i didn't necessarily know better now i, I probably wouldn't do that right uh I, so I, I have no way of condoning, like, you should be, you know, drilling them for how these things work before you buy them. Right. On the other hand, I was right, and he lied right to my face. Right. And I spent, oh, wow, I spent $60 on this yeah. to find the cheapest, shittiest gimmick that yeah. I had at home already. Um, and I could see the loophole that he was discussing. Um, the w- the way that I'm he... Gonna, I'm going to say how this works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, what it was is, I basically, what I imagined when he did the trick was, I imagined... By the he, way, this is really going to show him. Yeah. Because he's one of our su- listeners, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't... I, and if he is, whatever, I'll start this fight. Um, <laughs> this is how drama starts. <laughs> I just, as I reload this, I got really heated about it yeah, again. Yeah. Like, Fucking hell. Um, so it was a, uh, a thumb tip. My thought was, was a th- my guess was, oh, it's a thumb tip that you put on. Right. You fake thumb. You wrap your you wrap the tape around this, but and so it looks you can't see the thumb tip because it's covered in tape. But then that allows you to be able to sneak your thumb in and out to get the chain on and off. Right. right? So I remember raising my hand, and going, oh, so is it like a thumb tip? Looked at me in the face and said, no, it's not. And I went, wow. I spent $60 of money that my dad had given me that I did not have. I opened it up to find a thumb tip that he just cut off like the nail part. So it's just the part with the knuckle. So the idea is that your fingertips are both real on one end, and then you're only putting the tape around the, the right. thing. So he'd given me less than, he'd given me half a thumb tip. To be fair, it was there was no tip. So it was not, a th- it was not like a thumb tip at all. Right. It, had you asked, is it like... What I would call the, the abdomen of a thumb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I just remember being like, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm still upset about that. Because that was, I mean, granted, was it necessarily the most appropriate thing for me to raise my hand and right. go, I think this is the method in a room full of people that he's trying to sell this to? Probably not. If you're listening, don't go around doing that. But However, if you were selling a trick and a 15-year-old child came up to you, you might, when he walked up to you in private, be like, you know what? don't buy this because, like, you got the idea or something. Right. I, like, that's or you gross might, to me that he or, just lied to a 15-year-old or give and, it, like, gave him $60. Or give it to the kid. Um, right. Like, you guessed it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I don't I don't know. I mean, I my sense of magicians is that they're in financial dire straits a lot. <laughs> so, right. I, I mean, just my just from having encountered them, it, it just seems like people are just hurting right. all when the time. When you stand at that valley of the Magic Castle, you go, oh boy. I mean, sometimes... The quality of that suit does not match the quality of that car. Oh, by the way, um, I 
having been at the castle again this last weekend, I was like, there's so so many confident ponytails at the Magic Castle. Sure. Uh, but, uh, Overly confident, one might say. That, that men are wearing. Mm-hmm. Just like very, a lot of confident ponytails and confident bolo ties, sure. I will say. However, I'm a person that wears a confident turtleneck, so. Um, you did look very good in that turtleneck. That was a good look. Uh, by the way, I was nervous at brunch because in the dress code for brunch, it does not say turtlenecks. Like, brunch dress code seems like you pretty much wear anything. The, yeah, because you have, like, a lot of nine-year-olds. So, like, you can't, they're not going to make this nine-year-old And there's a, a lot of guys tight. just wearing, like, polo shirts and whatever. But yes, because, that's acceptable. But because I think it's, it's still no denim, no, uh, right. like, sandals, flip-flops. But because specifically it didn't say turtlenecks, I was almost like, am I going to get stopped with this? The answer is no. Right. They're fine with the turtleneck. Um, the, uh, have you ever encountered this magician again? Many times. Oh, did you ever tell him the story? Nope. <laughs> I just I just see him and I, oh, fuck that guy. On the Magic Cafe, a lot of times when an item comes up for discussion, people will say, um, you know what? This sounds like the effect that such and such thing has. I'm sort of asking what you're asking. Mm-hmm. And people will basically say, like, if you want to ask that question, you should just buy it. Uh, and, you know, then... Because I understand that of saying, like... like Oh, yeah. Like I said, again, you shouldn't just be trying to call out the method publicly to avoid buying it. Yeah. That's not necessarily the right thing to do. You also shouldn't be lying to kids to get their $60 yeah. when they guessed it, the method right. Some of these guys have child support payments, I would assume. <laughs> they really need this money, I right. guess. They need to steal from one child to give to another. It's like a Robin Hood thing. It's more like socialism. Right. Uh, only on a kid level. It's like it's kid socialism. It's like the kids bop of Marxism. <laughs> um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, my question, here's a question for you. How many of those lectures, because I've seen even like when I've paid for a Penguin Live lecture, I don't like sometimes in the penguin live lecture they're like well i won't describe the rest of this because this is in this other product that i sell right i'm just like well don't list it as a trick that's being discussed in this lecture. oh that's then. funny i you know i have not watched many of those online lectures but in the know. castle uh, not castle lectures in general how many of them are like well here's something and then you can get this for forty dollars yeah, so I'd say that is actually a fairly common practice to not reveal how a trick is done and show, oh, by the way, here's a thing I'm very excited about. They'll perform it and go, that's yeah. right here. And that's a great way to sell a trick. Um, I don't necessarily hate that practice because it's not... So long as so long as the lecture... I mean... I guess it depends on the ratio. It depends, of, yeah, it, de- it depends on what the lecture is. Like I said, you're paying for those Penguin lectures. I'm, I can go to the Castle lectures for free. So, I see. So I can go any Sunday. So, I mean, will I be annoyed if it's just two hours of teaching nothing and going and this is in the uh this is in the notes i'm selling or you know right buy soaring but eagle it, for but 35 dollars. It, it didn't cost you anything either. right uh yeah. i mean i'll be annoyed that i wasted a day to watch you know a, like a trade show yeah but i there's, assume there's, there's some less... there's some ratio then of selling versus imparting actual information right well I, and, and here's something i mean learned i've learned when i went on tour with shoot and that is that a lot of the money that lecturers make is coming from the sales of their own products, not necessarily the lecture fee. Yeah, yeah. So, and in fact, one of the things I learned when I went on that first lecture tour with Shoot, and I'll be going out with him again uh, in March, next month. This is Amsterdam? Um, so that was just through, through Europe. Oh, Europe, Europe. Uh, I don't I know. Exactly. Like I keep thinking you're going to Amsterdam. I said that like three weeks in a row. Right. For some reason. Um, so I, I Maybe because I know we're flying in. you're and, such a reefer addict. Right. You know me. Classic <laughs> smoking the reefer. <laughs> 24-7. Um, I'm high right now. No, no I'm not going to commit to that joke. Uh, but 
well, I know we're flying into Denmark and flying out of Denmark, and but I know we're moving a lot through Europe. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know that. I don't know the. the uh, but he will be like. So Electra is. He's going to be. Is is Electra like? Let's just talk from Shoot's perspective. I can talk is, about his last lecture tour. And yeah, that is went. it like doing an act or is it like lecturing? Everyone does it a little bit differently. Yeah. Generally speaking, there will be a section of performing material followed by a section of explaining a lot of that material and a lot of the ideas in it. And so Shoot, uh, Shoot will perform for about 15 or 20 minutes and then start talking about a lot of things in that section of the lecture, mm. certain tricks. And a lot of times too, you'll just sell things that you didn't fact, he'll sell things that he didn't fact teach. Like he'll teach his, um, like these card routines mm-hmm. and he'll teach them in full detail mm-hmm. and go, that routine is on this DVD mm-hmm. and it'll, it'll have five other tricks on it. And you know, they're, it's complicated detail. And so a lot of times it's like he taught it, but you need to really sit down with it uh, again. Does he teach uh, or sell ninja rings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He has Ooh. three ninja ring DVDs, Link 1, 2, and 3. Does he sell the rings? Um, Sometimes. Those are very, because he gets really nice ones from Japan. We brought those to a lecture tour last year in the UK, and they sold out pretty quick. Okay. And so actually by the end of the tour, we had like three sets left. Uh-huh. And we were kind of like, let's just not put those out. And then people, if someone really, really, really wants them, right. you know, then maybe we'll sell them to okay, them. Okay, put this on the list of things I want to buy from Shoot when okay. he gets back. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know if he has any stock. I have no idea. I mean, like, just the next time he has sure. them. Um, uh, but I will uh, I will see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying, like, steal them from his house or right. anything like that. That's, he just winked at me. He yeah. just winked at me. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, so the, the another thing that I think you have mentioned in regards to shoot that I actually have experienced as well is um, last year at the fringe, I saw these uh, Japanese clowns uh, called Gamar Jabat mm-hmm. who are amazing. They're incredible. I've seen, um, there's like a ver- pretty viral seven minute video of them on some Japanese TV show. Oh really? Then many of my non performance theater actor friends um, have seen, like, have you seen these guys? Uh, they're fantastic. Yeah. They're, that's my second time seeing them. They're um, incredible. Does shoot know them? Because all uh, Japanese artists know each other, right? Right. I was going to say all Asian people know he each must other. Know they're of all them. friends. He must know of them. Um, uh, pro- probably. I mean, I... Because they're in the variety arts. Let me let, sure. let me make, make my statement more defensible. Right. <laughs> um, but we saw them last year at, in Edinburgh, and I didn't think about this until you had mentioned it, but like, I bought a DVD from them pretty much just because I was like, I really liked this show and I right. want to give you more money. That was well, really, I was, I wasn't really like, I haven't watched that DVD. One of the, uh, one of the things I learned from that lecture, and I, I take this with me when I go to lectures now is that I think one of the ways you can pay respect to, to a lecturer, um, is by buying something. Yeah. Even if there's nothing you're really that excited about, just buy something even not that expensive. It's kind of a way of saying thank you. Lecturing is, um, is fucking hard. Yeah. Like I mean, that UK tour, was really, really hard. I mean, half the reason I was there, I would say 40% of my purpose, was just we had another person with him, you yeah. know, talking to him. But it's like, especially if, if someone is from out of town or out of the country, they're, you know, a foreign performer, and they're like a guest, in, you know, in this country, um, that's hard to do. You're flying, I mean, you're basically, like if I go to a lecture at the castle and I see guys from Spain or something, they're flying across the country, across the world, uh, to hang out here for a few days, carry like products they might be selling, mm-hmm. and they've flown across the world to impart their years of experience and knowledge and love for this craft with you, and you didn't have to pay anything for that. Right. And so, and a lot of the times, like you know, lecture fees are not necessarily that high. So the, really, the way you can pay someone respect as an, a sort of a thank you is by buying something. 
And what's funny about that is I see a lot of people not buying stuff at certain uh, at lectures. Uh-huh. But I would say the magic ca- the, the magic community has a big emphasis on quote being respected. Right. And so I think a lot of magicians will like, you know, oh, well you have to make sure your spectators are, are being respectful. And so there is like ha- making sure that they're they're earning respect and being respected by mm-hmm. their audience is very important to them. Yeah. But these are also the same people that aren't buying stuff at lectures. Uh you know, right, and so I'm like, okay, you know, a little hypocritical there. So, like, even you know, I, I went to a lecture of someone I didn't like and uh, didn't like uh, <laughs> that you uh, viscerally uh, hated. Uh, <laughs> I went to that was the wrong. One. You went to the Larry the Cable Guy lecture, which right, was right. like not magic at all, <laughs> right? Um, and I bought uh, I bought his act, so now yeah. I'll be doing little Larry the Cable Guy the magic act. Get her done. <laughs> oh, brother, get her done. <laughs> That'll be my new act. But I went to a, a lecture where um, I liked it and it was good. None of the products really spoke to me. I didn't see myself doing that material. Yeah. I thought they were a little ex- more expensive than they should have been. Um, and, and But I there was something there for $40 and just as a, like as a thank you for them yeah. taking the time to do this, to share, I mean, with me two hours of years and years of knowledge, right. which, and the knowledge itself was, was very good. The products didn't necessarily speak to me, but the, the, the actual lecture itself was very interesting. I, I, I yeah. certainly appreciated the point of view and the, and the perspective. It's just a sort of a thank you. That's I quite literally the least you can do. Yeah. So that reminds me, I should next every lecture you go to from now on, just text me who it is. And I might Venmo you money just to buy something. Oh, just yeah. cause I oh. like buying stuff. Sure. I'll do that. Um, because a co- you've gone to a couple recently and was like, oh, I kind of, because I recently bought um, a, a Cups and Balls set. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. But right. uh, but like recently someone came through that like has a very nice one. Um, and uh, I, I have his video and he's like, oh, you should get these leather Cups and Balls and they're really nice. Mm-hmm. And I, I should have bought them from him when he was in town. Sure. Um, That's a very interesting point, but you're holding that microphone as you tell it to me, and I well, can't think of anything else. He's well, holding it up to his mouth. John, this microphone, I don't know if you know this, but this microphone doesn't work. So <laughs> oh, oh, I got this it? from the dime store, and okay. it's, it turns out, you know, let's p- crush it in this paper bag. Crush. Whoa. Throw it away. Here's what I hate about that trick, Great by the way. Opener. If you're vanishing a ketchup bottle in a plastic bag, yeah. my problem with that trick is like that plastic, uh, that paper bag has like a lot of mass by the end of that. You're not crushing it. It's a pretty big <laughs> ball. You mean when you, oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't crush down to like. It doesn't like, like completely fat, uh, flat. So you're like crushing it to a size of a pretty big softball. Yeah, yeah. And then when you like throw it off stage it's or like throw it whatever you have, <laughs> it's got some momentum. Yeah. <laughs> More yeah. so than. An, yeah. Um. Uh, who's I've, really being fooled? I mean, who's who's that really fooling? Uh, I'm more fooled when the ketchup bottle comes out of the bag. Oh, okay, in reverse. Uh, or when I feel like I've seen like a two liter bottle of Coke come out of a bag. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm more fooled by that. Right. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of those recently. Oh, by the way, this other people I saw at the castle this weekend that I enjoyed were Pop. Hayden? Pop Hayden? Hayden, yeah, I love him. We That's saw him I, before. Yeah, second Pop Hayden is great. And I will say that Pop Hayden, just I would like kills. to say again, I'd seen everything he did. I'd seen before. Mm-hmm. Still loved it. Sure. I don't. I don't. But again, like I was talking about last week, two weeks ago, a uh, few episodes ago, was when you watch him perform, even when he's doing material that exists. I, I don't, certainly don't want to suggest that you can't do any material that already exists and has to be completely original, mm-hmm. but everything he performs, you can you you see why 
what you're getting by him standing on stage performing. Uh, yeah, His yeah, character yeah. is you, so clear. You recently said, like, why am I watching you Right, like, yeah. you see a lot, you know, certain sometimes when people, yeah, buy a track and just perform it as is, I think, why did it, anybody else could have stood where you're doing, done these old lines, and the trick would look the same? Yeah. Why do you deserve this time, this respect, this applause, this la- these laughs, whatever? With Pop Hayden, even when he's doing classic material, yeah. he's doing it in a very Pop Hayden way, that totally fits his character. Like when he does the multiplying bottles and he's doing it like in character, selling this like literal snake oil. Yeah. Uh, it totally fits everything. Yeah. And he answers that question. Like, why does it have to be him doing these tricks? My favorite thing that I saw, the teleportation thing. Uh, no, but I had seen this before, which is just the white handkerchief and red handkerchief where he's just doing a handkerchief that's changing color. Right. And he's just like, I believe that's called, the color changing handkerchief is it uh it, where he's just like um yeah it's dumb it's just two handkerchiefs like like his continuous just like i don't know it's just it's just these two handkerchiefs like like a weariness of just how lame it is while he's right. doing and then genuinely like fooling people with his sleight of hand mm-hmm. but but the main his demi- sleight of hand is very good yeah like like i've only seen him once in the close-up gallery uh-huh. and he was doing some tough shit that looked really good. Um, it's almost like his sleight of hand. This is going to sound weird, but he's kind of hiding his sleight of hand in that trick because it's not really the focus of his sleight of hand in that catches you off guard where you're just like, there's a lot of tricks where it's like, okay, now I'm about to do something fucking cool. Da da da. I just did it. I fold you. I'm so technically good at this. But in the, when he does the color changing handkerchief, it's just like, oh, wait, something just happened. I wasn't even expecting something to happen because he's been right. telling me how dumb it is the whole time. Which I mean, which I really appreciate. Which is how it should be. Not yeah. calling your magic dumb all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can if you want. He just, I do it sometimes. He has a great deadpan where he's just like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, and I really appreciate. But I mean, yeah, you should be, you should be, like, all the things you just said, like, that should be the norm, hiding your sleight of hand and not. Yeah, I would say that there's a fair amount of, even amongst magicians that I really enjoy, there's a fair amount of the opposite. There's a fair amount of like, like pretty cool, huh? Again, (laughs) I I do dislike the like, well, that was two years of my life reference because that seems to like underline and also kind of shame the audience for not appreciating enough a moment that just happened. I... Again, this is another thing where I think, oh, this is a close friend of mine that does a line like this. Yeah. So I like I, I feel bad saying this, but I tend to not like any kind of you didn't cla- you didn't react enough. Yeah. You know, we can do it two ways: the one with applause or the one the way we're doing it. Stuff like those lines. Yeah. Um, and back to me and my stock jokes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I guess it depends because I, 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 I'm just not a f- like the same reason I hate. Oh my god. I went to a Magic Castle one night, this is a couple years ago, and two performers in a row did the exact same thing. That is when they came out, um, the first thing they did was they both kind of like bit their lip and like lunged forward and then did this. Like, and they just, if, if, you're, if you're not here in the room. If you're not watching the video, which doesn't exist. Yeah. I'm um, going to post this online. But just when someone comes out and like the first thing they do is they just like force the audience to clap louder. Yeah. And I'm always of the opinion of like, no earn it or you don't get it this is um where the only acceptable moment i think that would happen is if they were the mc even then it's not great but if they're specifically just the mc 
and they're trying to get the audience up because they're about to in- introduce somebody mm-hmm. else. But if they're doing that just so that they can get that moment, then I think it's not great. But I think, yeah, I definitely I mean, did it happen. Like, did they do that and then they start their own act? Yeah, that's oh, not yeah. great. <laughs> the, no, they're not being announced. They come out like, "Come on!" <laughs> and it just it it was just gross to me. And then you know what? You know what? That person opened that fucking ketchup bottle. Oh, really? I'm like, if you're gonna make me clap louder, you better meet that expectation. Now, I do kind of want to make a magic character that starts with that. Now. Yeah, sure, because it's so easy to parody. Because like, because I, I would almost like to make a magic character that just needs the audience response so much that the whole thing is just like, come on, come on. (laughs) Like you do a trick. You're like, no, that's not enough. Right. And like berate an audience member for like, not like you could make a good anti-comedy magician character that just is very hostile to the audience based on their response. Sure. Um, Yeah. So I'll do that. Please do. Um, with your Chung Ling Su act. Chung Ling Su. I got all these great magician characters, you know, um, you'll be in white face in Asian face. Oh, that's not a bad idea, actually. If I do white face and then tape my eyelids. <laughs> right. Yeah. For those that don't, I, I, a couple of friends of mine do listen to this that are not magicians. Chung ah. Ling Su was a British man. I thought you were like, a couple of people don't know that Chris is Asian. Right. <laughs> uh, Chung Ling Su was a British man. Yes. Uh, who I believe encountered an act from an actual Chinese magician. Oh. I have the Jim Steinmeier book. I have not read it. Okay. Uh, but I believe that there was an actual Chinese magician who came to the U.S. and did a tour and that this white guy stole his all right. act. Which, you know, is sort of part and parcel. That's the risk you take when you come to America. Well, he, sh- he, he died with a trick where he shot himself. So last Did he really? Last- yeah, he died of the bullet catch. It's oh. like his big legacy. Well, he caught it. <laughs> so, <laughs> the I mean, trick still kind of worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, that was a, 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 not the only case of that happening. Uh, one of the most important revolutionary magicians of all time, Di Vernon, uh-huh. famously did an act where he was an Asian face and the character's name was Dai Yan. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. The uh, professor of racism. <laughs> right. And you know what's funny? In the Di Vernon biography by David Ben, he even says like, and you know something? A lot of people really believed it. And I think it's kind of written in a way that's like, <laughs> look, the prosthetics were so good. I'm like, no, I think just a lot of racist white people in the 20s didn't know what Asian people looked yeah. like or didn't care. I didn't care. I mean, people don't care now. So, like, yeah, right. definitely people didn't care then. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, and I also saw Kevin Lee in The Cellar. Great. He was terrific. Kevin uh, Lee's very good. Um, and I saw Zach Swan in The Palace. Okay. Um, both of those guys, I guess, are juniors? Yeah. Junior performers do all to the brunch honest, close-up I'm, shows and a slot in The Palace. Uh, I'm particularly shocked that Kevin Lee is a junior because I think he's already been on Fool us. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then I talked to him briefly afterwards and I was like, hey, man, good job. Uh, you know, and I, I pitched him a joke for his act. Um, Did you tell him you knew me? No. Okay. Did I tell him that I knew you? No, I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't always drop your name, John. Okay. I think. <laughs> um, but well, you know, I mean, you're, you know, I do know him. I, I might have said that, actually. Anyway, I uh, pitched him a joke. I, basically, I took a, you know, like, good job, kiddo. And then, like, I looked him up on Instagram, and he has, like, 150,000 Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the big names in Instagram magic. <laughs> yeah, so, like, for me to do that was completely silly. How many uh, how many Instagram followers do you have, Chris? I have 100. Hey. Uh, more importantly, I have 300 TikTok followers. What the hell is that? TikTok, I started an account a week ago. I already got 300 followers. Oh, is that, like, the new Vine? It is the new Vine. Okay. Well, um, that'll be a fun three months, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it used to be Musical.ly. Got it. 
Uh, but anyway, Kevin Lee's great, and I, uh, I would assume this has to be original to him. Has a great trick involving Mandarin flashcards. I have no idea. Um, and it's it's really like it's very cool. He's Chinese. He has a thing about like trying to teach someone Chinese like in the moment, and so I'm sure it's probably based on something else. But like the actual routine is is very cool and feels very unique to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was very cool. That was um, cool. But he was great. Yeah, he's uh, he also did a couple of things that I was like, "Ooh, how do you do that?" Yeah, he's smart. He's I said smart that guy. out loud, and they, they, no one seemed to like that. But did uh, he tell you during no, the show? No, <laughs> in Chinese, he was like, "Be quiet." Um, and the last thing I'll say about uh, brunch at the castle is sometimes kids need to be quiet, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also like sometimes you end up at the castle in the same uh, path or like same itinerary as like another group of people. So like if you start seeing one show and you go get in line for another, oh, you end sure. up being in the audience with the same people over and over. Right. So these two children that were very loud were in every show that I saw that day okay. and every magician had to like deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was annoying. Right. And it's all the magicians like first chance at it. And those kids have been like running reps all day, fucking with these magicians. Yeah. And also the parents are like, like, not cognizant at all that right. your child has been a problem in three shows and you're in your fourth. So, <laughs> you know, you know, maybe, maybe don't there's take a common it. denominator here yeah. <laughs> and it's you. Right. Uh, I think that's all I got for this week. Is that everything? Yeah. How long have we been going for? Uh, it's an hour five. Oh, it's an hour five. Um, uh, well, I, I feel pressured it, to say something else. Um, how are we doing on that theme song? Oh, uh, bad. <laughs> no interest no i i just haven't talked to him about it in like six days uh, any uh pen and teller update no this is what i will Which tell I you feel is the update yeah that probably is the update but this is what's fun is uh as a producer as someone who produced a show at orlando fringe last year and at edinburgh fringe last year are you producing uh, you're producing um are you producing thrones uh no i'm a co-writer for thrones Got it. thrones musical parody but not a producer um but i i'm sorry i did produce thrones at the orlando fringe oh okay and this is really my first time being a producer where it's like my money and it, it's fascinating to see uh, what ethics you will throw out the window when it's your money. Uh, you know, similar to a magician that sells a trick to a 15-year-old. Ex- explain. Explain that. This is how. Uh, I, it, one of my emails to one of the venues saying like... Said racism's fine. <laughs> John Accardo, close-up magic. Uh, you know, John Accardo, he's been at the Magic Castle. Um, he's, you know... An, a rising star in magic. He was invited to perform a full week at the castle before he wasn't even allowed to be in the building, which right. I pulled from your intro. Yes. Um, and then uh, last week to sort of get the, uh, like basically sometimes you need a reason to like ask again, like, hey, what's going on with this application? Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, hey, but <laughs> I take full responsibility. There it is. I said, Hey guys, just to let you know, um, John's uh, in consideration to be on uh, Fool Us. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I don't think that's gonna happen. No, no. I, I saw a friend of mine the other day, and he's confirmed to be on it. I'm like, oh, so okay, yeah. But by the way, that's just my producer like uh, bullshit, just to get another response from somebody from a venue that, and I, I, you have no responsibility for that. And also, I think actually like. Having one email conversation back with the producer from the show is kind of like, you know, they're considering it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, this is better than the reason I feel comfortable doing all this is that uh, back in the day, uh, Joe Papp, 
who was a... Uh, That's a made-up name. No. Joe Papp started the public theater. He did the Shakespeare in the Park in Central Park. Uh, very No famous. one has ever been named Joe Papp. Joseph Papp. Very famous Broadway producer. Um, was not getting reviews for a play that he wanted uh, that were to his liking. Mm-hmm. So um, if the, the you know, uh, Frank Rich, you know, famous New York Times uh, theater reviewer... Um, I don't remember when exactly this happened, but let's say it was Frank Rich that wasn't reviewing the play to his liking. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph Papp gave comps, uh, went out into New York City and found someone else named Frank Rich, gave him comps to his show and said like, what'd you think of the show? The guy's like, oh, I loved it. It's great. The acting was terrific. And then on his posters put, Frank loved, Rich. Acting was terrific. Quote, Frank Rich. Wow. And I think did that for multiple people. Oh my God. Um, so... Believe me, that's in the tool bag for John Accardo close-up magic at the Edinburgh Fringe. Well, I'm glad to hear that out of the gate we're being as shady as possible. <laughs> it's not shady. Um, hey, if it gets people in the seats. Right next is going to be like, yeah, t- every seat is filled and it's going to be all mops dressed as people. Yeah. Well, that would hurt you more than anyone else. The only people that, that would hurt you and the two... Like, we can put that on the poster, like, every seat full every night. Yeah, no empty seats available. Yeah. Well, I did, uh, when, when we were doing Thrones and Baby Wants Candy at the Edinburgh Fringe, every time people put up their, every time they get their reviews, you get a star review with it. So it'll be like four stars. But in all the publications, or in the majority of them, it'll be four stars. And then to show you what their scale is, there'll be four black stars and then a, a white star to show that you got four out of five. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I wanted Baby Wants Candy to start putting like, you know, if like occasionally we get a bad review that's like two stars, I wanted us to put like we got five stars for this show. Two of them were black, three of them were white, <laughs> and just say like every every review five stars. <laughs> the colors of the stars were separate issue. Okay, but you know three white stars for this show. Got it. Five white stars. Five whites. <laughs> you know, five white stars is not a bad way to describe a lot of uh, entertainment acts in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, John. Um, I will be at Magic to Do, which is musical improv. Uh, nothing to do with Magic Thursday. There is no Magic to be done, actually. And then I'll be at Baby Wants Candy at UCB Sunset on Friday. Do you have anything coming up this week? Um, nothing this week. I will be, like I said, plug, still plugging away at Magic Bar uh, February 12th, 19th, and You're not at Magic Bar this coming Monday or No, Tuesday. there is no Magic Bar this coming Monday or oh, Tuesday. Oh, what's that? Uh, I believe that is the opening or tech rehearsal oh, of Ben's show. And I think before that, he was figuring this out before... I, uh, he had right. asked me to come on and, so and just fill in for him. This week, so he just opted out of this week. But Honestly, it's probably a good idea anyway, just mentally. Yeah. I also doesn't have to worry about it because he would have still had to do uh, Monday. But I'll be there 12th with uh, in, in order to be Robert Ramirez, Kayla Drescher, and Jonathan Levitt. So that's going to be about as strong a lineup as you can get. So, and you said those tickets are pretty much gone. Yeah. I know they're pretty much all gone on Gold Star, yeah. um, at least for those Tuesdays. But I think you can still get some on the website. Cool. Uh, buy them. It's a great show. I think I just got another positive write up in Voyage LA, uh, Magic Bar. You uh, got six white stars. You got six. You got, yeah, three wizard hats. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next time. See you next time. And now the closing theme song. The setup.